Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 50. Isn't God good? He's so good. We have, we have all reason to rejoice here today. You know, there's plenty of reason, if you want, there's plenty of reason to sulk and to whine and to waller in your pitiful situation. There is always for every one of us reason to whine. And really, there's also reason to legitimately weep as well. But aren't you happy, as we talked about last week, I can still choose joy. I can still rejoice in his goodness. I can still choose to look at Jesus and not at my situation. That just as Peter, when he, woke, and when he walked in the water, he began to sink when he put his eyes off of Jesus. But as long as you keep your eyes on Jesus, it doesn't matter what's going on around you. You can have peace. You can have joy. You can have goodness in your life. Amen? There's always reason to rejoice as the redeemed of God. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Amen? So good to see you here. Please bear with me here today. I, I intended to start here today on our series or series of messages on the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But I just wanted to share something on my heart that I think is, is for some of us here today. But if you look at Isaiah chapter 50, we're going to look at verse 4. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your presence, for your spirit, that you never withhold from your children, God. We may be facing adversity and challenge, which is a real reality, but God, your goodness and your mercy and your peace is a reality in the life of the child of God. Help us, Jesus, to receive what you have for us here today, God. Help us, Lord, to dwell on you, to see you high and lifted up, to see your face in light of what we currently find ourselves in, God. We thank you, Jesus, that you endured the cross because of the joy that was set before you. So let us endure for the joy that is set before us on the other side of obedience. Bless your people here today in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Just bear with me here today. I just want to talk to you. And... From Isaiah chapter 50, verse 4. The Lord God has given me the tongue of the learned, that I should know how to speak a word in season to him who is weary. He awakens me morning by morning. He awakens my ear to hear as the learned. The Lord God has opened my ear, and I was not rebellious, nor did I turn away. I gave my back to those who struck me, and my cheeks to those who plucked out the beard. I did not hide my face from shame and spitting, for the Lord God will help me. Therefore, I will not be disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like a flint, and I know, what I, I know that I will not be ashamed. He is near who justifies me. Who will contend with me? Let us stand together. Who is my adversary? Let him come near me. Surely the Lord God will help me. Who is he who will condemn me? Indeed, they will all grow old like a garment. The moth will eat them up. I want to speak to you here today about setting our face as a flint. Setting our face as a flint. How many of you have ever been given a promise? Now, 
Me with children now and having grown up, you make a lot of promises to your children, don't you? Daddy, can we get ice cream after such and such? Can we do this? Can we do that? And your parents will, will say, yes, we can do that. Yes, we'll do it tomorrow. Yes, we'll do it next weekend, whatever it is. The period of time between me asking and it coming to fruition is full. It's full of time and it's full of conditions. Oftentimes, when God gives you a promise, it's always contingent upon conditions. Unlike a gift, when God gives you a gift, it is not conditioned upon your own goodness, your works, or you earning it. But when God makes a promise throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament, it is oftentimes contingent upon particular conditions held up on our half. Whenever there is a promise that God makes to you, that promise is always on the other side of obedience. That promise is always on the other side of obedience. If God, God has ultimately made the promise to all of us that you will be saved in the end, that you will be ultimately glorified, you will be with him in heaven. That's the ultimate promise any of us can have, right? And, and, and so you could say that Christ is our promised land, and I'm safe in Christ, and I've been saved, and I'm in the promise, okay? But there's still this life to live, isn't there? There's still this life in adversity and challenges and responsibilities and, and suffering and affliction that I may face. And so there's, there's, per, there's this period of time that until from the time that he's made me the promise and until I come to the place of, into the final resting place of the promised land that is heaven, there's a life of obedience that's necessary. Amen? He's promised that I will be with him forever. He's promised eternal life, but I have a life to live. I have a life to live. Furthermore, if God's ever made you a promise, I'm going to save that lost boy. I'm going to save that lost girl. I'm going to provide for you with that job. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. There is a time of testing. There's a time that's interim. There's a time where there is there is temptation to doubt and to fear God's promise, but what God is requiring is obedience in that period of time. Because on the other side of your obedience is the promise of God. On the other side of obedience. And so when the children of Israel were taken out of Egypt, they were delivered with the mighty hand, weren't they? And God continued to show his mighty hand throughout the entirety of the wilderness. And they had come, just come to the wilderness. And they had seen all the marvelous works that God had done. He had provided for them daily. He provided for them food and sustenance and water and defeated their foes. And just as they were about to go into the promised land, they sent 12 spies in. And two came back with a good report and 10 came back with a negative report that cast fear and doubt into all of the people. They were this close. They were this close from walking into the promised land. And because they doubted God, because they doubted the God of promise, they wandered in the wilderness, didn't they? And that entire generation fell in the wilderness. God had made a promise to every single one of those dry bones that fell in the wilderness. A promise had been made to every single one of those dry bones, but they did not bring it to pass through obedience. They did not set their face 
And here's the theme here today. They did not set their face as a flint. Set their face as a flint. What does that mean? Has anybody ever started a fire with a piece of flint? Flint is a particular kind of rock. And it was particularly used in North America by the indigenous people who would use it. It was this, this, this piece of rock that was very, very hard. And you could, you could shave it and flake it. It would come off in flakes and they could use it as a tool or as a weapon. Whether if it be an axe handle or, or an arrowhead or whatever it may be. And it was this really, really, really tough, hard piece of stone that could be molded and crafted into whatever you wanted. And it would not change. It was immovable. It, it would not erode. It, it was, it was um, able to sustain the elements and the tasks that they put to it. it was, and, and in this scripture, he's saying, I have set my face as a flint. Set my face as a flint. There are individuals here today, you're facing, you're facing trial and tribulation. You're facing decisions on a daily basis. God has promised to you his joy. He has promised to you deliverance. He has promised to you peace. But he's asking for us to set our face as a flint and just simply trust and obey. Trust and obey him. Even when you don't see it, even when you don't feel it. God never puts a carrot in front of your face and says, jump through so many hoops and then I'll do it. But he does respond to obedience and he does respond to faith. Jesus could not do very many miracles because there was a lack of faith. There was a lack of believing that he simply could. And they doubted his ability to do that. And so very simply here today, I just like from this text, I want to draw from the life of Jesus Christ. This text in Isaiah chapter 50, it is a messianic text from the Old Testament. Isaiah is prophesying, and this is directly related to Jesus Christ. This is a messianic text and you can see very clearly when he talks about, I turned my back to those who struck, struck me, and they pulled my beard, and they spat in my face. It's messianic in nature, and this speaks of the person of Jesus Christ. In the time period of you seeing God do, do works in your life, the period of time between now and seeing a promise come to pass in your life, there is an immense amount of temptation, an immense amount of work of the enemy to knock you off course and cause you to fall dead in the wilderness. Amen? All of us, listen, all of us are facing temptations and challenges which are common to all men. Common to all men. You are facing something that somebody else has faced. A temptation, a trial. You're, you have faced something that is, that is not unlike any, what anyone else has faced. And Jesus himself endured this life experience for you and for I. So in this period of time, between now and coming to this place of promise, where let's, let's say you want to see your marriage whole, you want to see your kids back, you want to see God move in your finances, you want to see God reconcile relationships, and those are promises God can make to us that God can do and he can work and he can mend and mold and, and do a work in our lives. But it just takes for us to have a resoluteness for you, for you to make a solid decision in your mind. Nothing is going to knock me out. I know in whom I believed in and I know that he is able. I'm not giving up. I'm not giving in. I'm not, I'm not going to fall under the pressure of this life. And so just let me share with you 
Three ways in which we are tempted to fall short of the promises of God. We're going to relate this to Isaiah chapter 50. Very simply, I want to relate to you with the life of Jesus in relation to this text. We are tempted always. We're always tempted to give in. We're tempted to give in. Even before Jesus started his earthly ministry, but when he was baptized by John, where did the Spirit lead him? The Spirit led him to the wilderness of all places. And for 40 days and 40 nights, he fasted. And at the end of those 40 days and 40 nights, who came? The devil came. And the devil, in parts, with the perversion, he used the Word of God and he tempted Christ. And he tried to get Jesus to disobey his Father. And he tried to get Jesus to, to, to behave and act outside of the will of the Father. At his weakest moment physically, he was his strongest spiritually. And how did he, resolve, how did he uh, respond those three times? The word of the Lord has said. The, the word says. The Lord has said. He responded with the word of God. When Jesus was telling his disciples, talking about how that he was going to have to endure many things, and he was going to have to endure the scourging. He's going to have to endure the nails. He's going to have to endure the cross. And he's going to die. And after three days, he's going to be raised again. How did his disciples respond? In particular, Peter. Peter took him aside and said, Lord. And the Bible says he actually rebuked Jesus. Let it not be so. Surely, surely you would not allow yourself to go through such pain and suffering and even eventual death. Let it not be so. And what did Jesus say? He rebuked Peter and he said, Satan, get behind me. Satan, get behind me. It is when the devil comes and speaks to you, and it is even the persuasion of friends that comes to speak to you that wants to cause you to give in to the temptations of the flesh. To give in to the voices around you. How many of you know there are many voices swirling in the air around you? There are many influences trying to infiltrate your mind and your spirit and trying to knock you off course from the promises of God. And many people, they lend their ear, they lend their ear to deception and half-truths and it knocks them off course from coming to the place of that promise. And if you look here at Isaiah 50, we're going to run through this. If you look here in Isaiah 50, he says in 4, The Lord God has given me the tongue of the learned, that I should know how to speak a word in season to him who is weary. He's saying, I have a word, and I'm able to encourage people. But he only has a word. Jesus only had a word. Jesus could only speak what he spoke because of the next scriptures. Listen to this. He awakens me morning by morning. He awakens my ear to hear as the learned. The Lord God has opened my ear, and I was not rebellious, nor did I turn away. Jesus said, he told the Pharisees, he said, I do not speak in my own authority, but whatever the Father has commanded me, that I speak. Everything that Jesus did, everything that he said, he did it in imitation of his Father. He could only speak. 
He could only behave because he was continuously looking to the Father. He could only bring words of encouragement to the people around him because he was not rebellious. His heart was not set against the will of the Father, but he was humble before the Father and said, whatever you speak, Father, I speak. Whatever you tell me to do, I do. And, though, and so because he had an open ear and no rebellious way, he could receive what God had given to him, the Father, in full dependence upon him, and then... And then and only then could Jesus speak to the storm because he had heard the Father. And because he had heard the Father, he could with a word speak to the demon-possessed person and call that demon out. And because he had heard and watched the Father, he could speak to sickness and the leper healed and the paralytic made whole. Because he had heard from the Father, he was watching the Father. And he did as the Father did. This is Jesus, God incarnate. This scripture is speaking of Jesus. <clears throat> and it's corroborated in the life of Jesus, in the words of Jesus. That he did nothing of his own self, but he abided in the Father. He listened solely to the Father. And there are those of us in this life, we are always tempted to give in to every other voice and every other influence in your life. You are tempted to listen to the attacks of the enemy, but if you will listen to the voice of God, if you listen to the word of God, you can then talk back to the devil. You can then talk back to the storm. This is not some name it, claim it. This is me proclaiming the promises of God based upon my faith and his ability to do it because I've been with him. And so whatever, I have set my face as a flint because I have heard from God. I've been with God. I know his voice. I am a humble, teachable, moldable sheep. And those who are his sheep, they hear the voice of truth. And so whenever I hear his voice, my face is set like a flint, and I will follow him. It doesn't matter what wilderness I have to traverse. I will go through it because I'm listening to the Father. I'm listening to the Father. And then I can talk back to my situation based upon the Word of God, just as Jesus did. And then when people who are well-meaning, they come and they, they give these these. This, the help they want to give to me. Yeah, maybe you should take that job. Maybe you should go to that church. Maybe you should marry that person. But if you will listen to God and God alone, God first and foremost, you can say, Satan, get behind me. I know what God has spoken to me. I know what God has spoken to me. There's too many people looking to a mentor before they look to Jesus Christ for help. Listen, <coughs> I have faced this myself. In light of adversity, in light of criticism, in, in light of things being brought to my attention concerning myself, our first tendency, our first tendency is to run to those closest to us to, for them to affirm and for us to feel accepted. Okay, understand what I'm saying? In light of our adversity, our first response is oftentimes to run into the presence of those who are our biggest cheerleaders. Because we know we're going to hear what we want to hear. Okay? But oftentimes, 
or first and foremost, we ought to run to the presence of God and say, you tell me what I ought to hear. Because in your place of suffering and adversity, that's when you're most vulnerable. And you will listen to a lot of things. And Jesus knew, if I give any ear, even to Peter, my disciple, who's saying, no, Jesus, don't go to the cross. He knew, I have to say, Satan, get behind me. This is not of God. Because I've been with the Father. I have heard his voice. I have opened my ear. And I have set my face as a flint. Early as Luke chapter 9, the Bible says that Jesus had set his face for Jerusalem. That's the purpose for which he was born, was to die. And he allowed nothing to come in the way. He did not give in. He did not give in. And because he did not give in, it was because he was listening to the voice of the Father. And as he listened, then and only then was he able to speak to the storm, able to speak to the sickness, able to speak to the demons, able to speak to the devil, able to speak with authority to the religious hypocrites of his day. Because he had heard from God. Let me encourage you. Don't give in to the lies of the devil. Don't give in to the lies of this world and world system. Listen to the voice of God. Secondly, in this place of wilderness, if you will, this place of adversity, when we're walking in obedience and we know on the other side of our obedience is the promise, we're tempted to give out. We're tempted to give in, and we're tempted to give out. Turn with me to Matthew 26 very quickly. Twenty-six and 36. This, this is Jesus in the garden. He knows his time is drawing very, very, very near in a matter of, of hours He's had the last supper with his disciples. He's prepared himself. He now, in great travail of his spirit, in great agony, knowing the great suffering he was about to finally endure, the purpose for which he had come, he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane with James, Peter, and John. He asked them to pray with him. And if you look actually in verse 38, then he said to them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch with me. He went a little farther and fell on his face and prayed, saying, Oh, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Then he came to the disciples and found them sleeping and said, Peter, what, could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray, lest you enter into, into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Last verse right here. Again, a second time, he went away and prayed, saying, Oh, my father, if this cup cannot pass away from me unless I drink it, your will be done. And verse 44 says he did it once more, did it three times. I want you to understand this. This is Jesus. He knows who he is. He knows where he's come from. He knows that he's going back to the Father. He's fully God. He's fully man. He's God incarnate. He had a full measure of the Spirit of God. He lacked nothing in himself. And he is dripping great drops of blood because he's in extreme agony over the cup he's about to drink. This is God. This is God incarnate. 
And he's about to embark upon the greatest agony that any person could experience, not just physically, but spiritually. The Father was about to forsake him. He was about to take the sins of the world upon him. And in this moment, he knew, God knew, Jesus being full of dependent of the Father, he knew, I have to go to my knees and say, Father, help me to set my face as a flint and bring this to pass. This has to be done. But in him saying, if it's your will, let this cup pass for me. Let it pass. Nevertheless, not your will, not my will, but your will be done. Have you ever faced such adversity and trying times that you thought, how can I carry on? How in the world can I take another step? And in the place of danger, in the place of emergency, in the place of adversity, in this place, we're always tempted. Listen, we are always tempted to try to fulfill the promise in our own strength and might. Jesus knew that he could not, he could not carry this to pass in his own strength and his own might. In his own humanness. He could not drink this cup of suffering. But it was God's will. It was God's will for him to encounter this suffering. Now, I'm not going to say that God brings suffering into our lives. But he allows it into our lives. He allows things to come into your life. But it's not meaningless. It's not without purpose. And I'll look at that here in a moment in the next point. But here's something I want you to understand. In that moment, in that moment where you know this is my cup. This is the cup that God has given me. This is it. You are very tempted to give out. That is, to allow the heaping responsibility and weight and the insurmountable task that's before you and to go forward in your own strength. To go forward in your own might. Listen. You are not the Holy Spirit. You can't save your husband. You can't save your child. You can't save your co-worker. But God can. And we are so tempted. We want control and we want to manipulate and we want to, to, uh, to mold things with our own hands and say, God, I have a really good idea for you. I've got a really good idea. I've got a really creative way that you can make this thing come to pass. Won't you lend me your ear? Because we don't want to drink the cup he's given us. And so we, we want to do it our own way and do it in our own strength. But Peter says, cast all your care upon him for he cares for you. And you will encounter a greater degree of weariness and toll, to, toil if you will take the task upon your shoulders and your shoulders alone. We are to be yoked with Jesus. Take my yoke upon me and learn from me. You're not to face what you face in your own power and your own strength. And you will give out when it's heaped upon you and you alone. 
When he's there in Gethsemane, when he knows the whipping, the flogging, the scourging is going to come, when he knows that the mocking is going to come, the beard plucking, being sped on, the purple robe, robe thrown upon him in mockery, the false accusations that are going to come before him, all the things that he knows that he's about to experience, Everything he knows he's about to face, the deepest agony anyone could experience, both physically and spiritually. And here's what 1 Peter 2.23 says. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered not a threat, but committed himself to him who judges righteously. When Paul had the thorn in the flesh, he said, if it be your will, remove this thorn from the flesh. He asked three times, but, but Jesus said, my grace is sufficient. You're so, it's okay. This thorn is to humble you and to make you dependent upon me. You cannot do it in your own strength. And to prove that, I'm going to allow this thorn to stay in your, in your life. I'm going to allow you to take this cup of suffering to prove to you you can't do this on your own strength. And when you come to the end of yourself, you will find strength in your weakness. You will find that his grace is sufficient. His grace is enough. His grace is enough. We, we really battle with just simply resting, don't we? You know, the task that is before me as a pastor of this church, for some people it may seem small, but it is a massive responsibility and task that I see and I sense in my spirit. And, and honestly, just a few days ago, just thinking about leading a people, exalting Christ, leading my wife and my kids, the responsibilities to be a godly man, a godly leader, a godly pastor. I think about the task that is before me and the thing that God has put into my hand and I think, I can't do it. I, I can't do it. I mean, I get into this pulpit oftentimes and I think, I cannot do this. I, I really, I, I feel like I cannot do it. And, and, and you're tempted in your flesh to put your hand to it and make things happen. But there is a strength in our weakness. And so we are tempted to give out. But if you would just commit yourself and say, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. You have your way in my life. I give it to you. I surrender my will, my rights, my entitlement to you. You do with me as you wish. And that's exactly what Jesus did. And you see in Isaiah 50 and 6, I gave my back to those who struck me. And my cheeks to those who plucked out the beard. I did not hide my face from shame and spitting. God may not bring adversity or suffering upon you, but He does allow it with the intention, with the intention to create a greater dependency upon Him and less self dependence in yourself. And so he's able to turn his back, to turn his cheek, and not to hide his face from this mockery of men. And so he is tempted, we are tempted to give in, to give out under this heaping responsibility, to, to do it in our own strength, and then ultimately we're tempted to give up, aren't we? You're tempted to ultimately give up. And just as those who fell in the wilderness, they wandered for 40 years. Years. 
They were this close to the promise just 40 years earlier. They had seen God's great work and his manifest presence and power, and they fell in the wilderness. And if we will set our face as a flint, as Jesus did, we can see the promise come to pass in our life. So look here at verse 7. Isaiah 50 and 7. For the Lord God will help me. Therefore, I will not be disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like a flint, and I know that I will not be ashamed. He is near who justifies me. Who will contend with me? Let us stand together. Who is my adversary? Let him come near me. Surely the Lord God will help me. Who is he who will condemn me? Indeed, they will all grow old like a garment. The moth will eat them up. Turn to Romans 8.18 with me very quickly. I want to end right here. Romans 8.18. We are tempted to give up. Romans 8.18. And he says here, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Let me read that again. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared. He's saying the great depth of suffering and affliction that you experience, it is not even worthy to be compared it is not, a, it's not a, um, a counterpart to the glory which shall be revealed in us. That's the promise. The glory that will be revealed in us. That's the consummation. That's the promise. That's the end result of setting your face as a flint. So look here at verse 28. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to His purpose. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. God's intention in your life, here, is it, here it is in a nutshell, God's intention in your life with every experience, with every word told to you, with everything you face, his intention is to make you like his son. To conform you to the image of Jesus Christ. You are predestined to take on conformity to Jesus Christ. And oftentimes we cannot be conformed to Jesus Christ except that we be conformed to his suffering. He learned many things by his obedience. And for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. That just as he's on the cross, think about this. Even when the soldiers approached him in Gethsemane, and Peter took out his sword, and they wanted to defend Jesus, Jesus said, don't you know I can call down 12 legions of angels? Don't you know who I am? But I'm willingly, willingly allowing myself to go through this. And as he allows himself to be led to Pilate, he allows himself to be scourged, he allows himself to be defamed, he allows himself to be sped on and hit, he allows himself to be taken up the Via Della Rosa to, the, 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 the Mount, uh, to Mount Calvary, he allows himself 
to have his hands and his feet nailed to the cross. He allows himself to be raised. He allows himself to stay on that cross. He allowed himself to come to the final end. Jesus, even on the cross, he could have called down legions of angels. Even at the very moment before he finally died and the Lord forsook him, Jesus could have given up. He could have said, I can't do it. And you know what? All the blood that had been spilled up to that point would have been meaningless. Because he wouldn't have completed the task that the Father had brought him to do. His Father's business was to be this perfect, sinless sacrifice. And as he's on that cross, what is the final thing that he says? It is finished. It is finished. That means it's an accounting term. It means paid in full. What I came here to do, what I have set my face as a flint here to do, that on the other side of obedience is the promise. On the other side of the cross is joy. He endured the cross because of the joy that was set before him. Because he was called to such a purpose, he allowed himself to stay upon that cross until all righteousness was fulfilled. And he said once and for all, it is finished. And what Jesus has accomplished on the cross in your, on, your, on, on your behalf for your life is so that you, at the final day of it all, you can come into that final glory and say, it's finished. It's finished. I have, I have reached the promise, and on the other side of my obedience, I've come into this promise from the Lord. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. And we see here, look here at verse 29. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. We can be glorified with Jesus in the same way that he set his face as a flint. You set your face as a flint. I'm not giving in to the deception of the enemy. I'm not giving in to temptation around me. I'm not giving in to sin and the adversity around me. I'm not giving out. I'm going to do this in the strength of God because this is the cup he has given me, and I'm going to do this. I'm going to take the stripes. I'm going to take the scars. I'm going to take the accusations and God's grace and his strength, and ultimately, Ultimately, the person of Jesus Christ is going, to be is going to be formed in me through this life experience, through this life that we live, till it all comes to a final end, and these he glorifies. Amen? Amen. Can you give the Lord a hand clap and thank him for that? Seth, come help me. Would you stand with me? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, that you offer to us, God, victory. You offer to us victory through the cross. You offer to us, God, to make us more than conquerors because you have loved us. And what you endured upon the cross is so that we can now have strength and power and might and grace and mercy because of your blood, Jesus. We thank you, God. 
We thank you, God, that we are weak in ourselves, but you are strong, Jesus. That your grace is enough. Your grace is sufficient, God. Let this be a room full of weak people. Let this room be a... Let this room be full of beggars, God. Let this room be full of people who have no confidence in themselves. And let us look to you and say, God, your will be done. And your will be done by your power, by your might, by your grace in my life, God. Help us to set our face as a flint. That we would not look to the left or to the right. That we would see our marriages restored. We would see our children saved. We would see your work and your will done in our lives here today, God. Oh, God, help us to walk in obedience because we love you. That in this wilderness way, in this affliction, which is only light and momentary, it is nothing to be compared, nothing to be compared with the weightiness of the glory we shall experience with you, God. Do a work in us here today, oh, Jesus. Do a work in us here today. If there would be anybody who says, I just need greater strength. I want to look to the Lord. I want to set my face as a flint. I need prayer. I need greater strength. I need greater grace. Would you step out from your seat and just come forward just so we know who you are. We can pray with you. Just come out and stand here in the front or kneel where you are. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus.